0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Truth is like grits. You'll serve it up plain, pull salt on it. Bad Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, according to a recent series of studies, I'm both more masculine and more sexually adventurous than you are. <laughs> this is more of a comment than a question, but I, I think I'm starting to like psychology again. <laughs>
1: uh, I think that you're misinterpreting. I think what this is saying is that you're a slut. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. like a pervert. It's <laughs> a <laughs> deviant.
1: Um, it is true with the paper we're gonna talk about this paper in our opening segment on uh willingness to try new foods and perception perceptions of sexual desirability. Um, but you know, I have some thoughts that will defend my vegetarianness from your gross attacks on your just disgusting manhunt. unethical attacks. <laughs> before uh, we get <laughs> but before we talk about that, we should say we're gonna talk in the main segment, we're gonna talk about two Borges short stories. Because we always forget to say that.
0: Yes, Emma Zuns, Zuns and Borges and I. Both of these are combined like five pages, so <laughs> yeah, uh, readers should get their hands on it. Maybe we'll put a link to. Uh, we yeah. can find you guys. They're easily
1: that. they're easily found, and uh, even Borges and I was like, maybe we should just read it.
0: <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> yeah. that too, actually. I'll um, read it in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but first. You put this into the very bad wizard Slack, the, uh, an article, a, a Social Psychology at its finest. Um, you are what you are willing to eat. Willingness to try new foods impacts perceptions of sexual unrestrictedness and desirability. <laughs> sexual unrestrictedness. <laughs> <laughs> no, <what, is> <laughs> it, it just means you do butt stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what? Are the, is there like a scale? for that I, there is <laughs> <laughs>
1: of course there is
0: <laughs> but it's it, the scale in this case would be how sexually unrestricted you f- think somebody else that's is right this is all than... about
1: perceptions because yeah. there's an there's an interesting question as to whether people's food preferences actually predict what they do sexually and i think they taught they cite some work maybe that addresses this but this is about what does it say about you like what do people think about you when they here that you have food neophobia
0: and an unwillingness to eat like new, new food novel or things yeah un- unusual foods yeah. right and so they have
1: measures of sexual desirability and sexual restrictedness they only have one only one of them has a measure of sexual desirability the first study but yeah basically the gist is across four studies uh this and this is by Hannah Bradshaw Summer Mengelcock, Matthew Espinosa, <laughs> Alex Daryl. <sir>. That's <laughs> not a real Don't name. Lie. Don't snicker. Sarah <laughs> Hill. And weirdly, it is from the Department of Psychology. They're all from Texas Christian University. So T-C-U, I wonder if they're yeah. really going to get to heaven publishing this kind of filth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. St. Peter is going to have some very tough questions. <laughs> uh, uh. So... The basic idea is just that if you see another person as somebody who will try anything, you know, like there are people, and I actually am one of these people, who will try anything once. Yeah. Like, whatever, rat, guinea pig, raccoon, like... um, Did you
1: eat guinea pig when you were in Peru?
0: yeah i did you did it was really great and it was the ultimate like free range guinea pig like i saw <laughs> them like running around like the little village that i was in yeah and um yeah and it was actually good i mean it's kind of good you know yeah. like I, I felt bad because they're they're cute but <laughs> yeah, but really yeah is. like i am i will try I, I don't like you know there are certain things i don't like and then once i don't like them i won't keep eating them but i will try things Um,
1: right and that's what yeah that it really is about the willingness to try new things it's not really about just like liking a lot of things um but uh yeah so they they find in these studies basically like the the general template of the studies is they'll ask they'll describe somebody in some cases it's just a vignette in some cases like a a fake okay qubit profile um so this is the vignette from the the first Uh, study. Austin goes out to a new restaurant in Fort Worth that has exotic foods from all around the world. He sees the name of a dish that he has never heard of before as an entree and decides to order it. When the food comes, it looks kind of strange. And in one condition, it continues, but it doesn't stop him from digging in with gusto. (laughs) (laughs) And in the other condition, it says, Austin picks at the food with his fork, smells it, and takes a few tiny bites before sending it back. And so, so then after the vignette, they, and these were, uh, so in some cases, it was Jessica. These were all heterosexual, um, participant college students who. who I, read
0: I like also like the, the 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 first one. Like Austin picks at the food with his fork, smells <laughs> it, and takes it a, a few tiny bites before <laughs> sending it back. Like uh, like of this course guy, you're not uh, going to think that person. Is he like definitely doesn't a... eat pussy. That guy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> What a fucking what a loser. <laughs> like if you don't want it, like fine, but don't just like pick at it and like smell it and do all these little like fussy well, little because
1: he decides to order it, which is kinda yeah. weird. Um uh, but but yeah. So <laughs> I know.
0: It's but it doesn't stop him from digging in with a kind with of gu- animalistic <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and then it says, following the vignette, participants responded to two items rating the target's desirability as a sex and romantic partner relative to others on seven-point scales. By the way, um, so Jessica was the name of the person in, who, who men read about. Austin was the name of the person who women read about. In each of these studies, it said uh, all students reported a heterosexual sexual orientation. And I was like, "Man, what are the chances that that's true?" And then I read it was Texas Christian University. <laughs> yeah. right. I was like, oh, "This they might report. be a little bit of pressure." <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. But they find that uh, people perceived the, the Austin who ate the food with Gusto to be more a more desirable sexual and romantic partner than the other person. In the next studies, they use o- fake OK Cupid profiles that describe that a person saying i know i like a lot of things but i'm always up for trying something new and different i'm pretty adventurous when it comes to food Um, or they say i'm pretty picky i know what i like and i stick with what i know if i've had it before i'll probably have it again newer exotic foods aren't really my thing and they had people rate this is like so they in in the following studies that that aren't study one they have people rate the um what's, it's SOI, I'm trying to remember, what, uh, socio-sexual orientation inventory. This measure includes three subscales which assess behavior, attitudes, and desire for short-term sexual relationships. So basically like how slutty you are. And also whether or not people were more likely to have had, like how many partners people were likely to have had. So, (laughs) which, okay, so just taking a step back, it does, it kind of meshes with my intuition that that this is true, right? yeah. Right. So I'm vegetarian. You, which I like could be seen as being picky, but I'm actually willing to try for if it's vegetarian for sure. If I'll it's try vegetarian,
0: yeah. Right. But I've yeah. also
1: tried most meats at least once. Yeah. Um, as because I was raised not eating meat, it just seems weird to me. But fucking Steve Stitch. Pressured me into trying foie gras. Oh Um, yeah, he's
0: exactly (laughs) like the the uh, (laughs) he fucks like this guy. He seeks it out. Like he (laughs) seeks out. Like he'll go to a restaurant. We we had him up in Morris, Minnesota, and he was still wanting to try something disgusting. I was like, it's all kind of disgusting, but it's not in the way that you want it. You know, to be (laughs) disgusting, it's just like. Like casserole or something yeah. like that, um, but he is all about just trying to. Now it would be interesting, uh, you know. I don't know Steve Stitch's sexual proclivities. <laughs> if I told you my
1: Steve Stitch butt plug story,
0: <laughs> no, um. but I think you should tell the just the world. <laughs>
1: So I was hanging out with him. This was actually the night after at a conference. It was like an APA uh, night after um, or right after he had made me try foie gras. gras. And we were talking about John Height as we were walking out of the restaurant. I think it was maybe Josh and and Steve. And I was saying something about how John Height is so soft spoken and he seems like such a nice guy. And then he'll get up there and he'll put up these slides that are just like, what the fuck, right? Like, you know, yeah. fucking chickens. And he has a slide with a picture of a baby Jesus butt plug as part of his talk. Right. And I'm, like, laughing, and, and Nob is laughing, and Stitch goes, what the hell's a butt plug? Yeah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and it's, uh, we just start laughing, and I'm like, Steve, would a man and a piece of plastic love each other. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be fair, he is of the generation, you know... The... Yeah, I'm not
1: mocking him. I, I wish I didn't know something.
0: <laughs> what a you butt know? Plug was. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, the only meat that I've had um, that I didn't like in terms of the taste, um, because I think in, in most cases where I've tried meat, it's been like some, somebody saying it's so good you have to try it. So I've, yeah. I've had like lamb roasted over an open spit at my family's farm in, in Argentina. Actually, I had a bacon, a taste of bacon cheeseburger at Carl's Jr., tasted good. Foie gras <laughs> tasted fine. It tasted good. It's bacon just so weird cheeseburger to to at it.
0: Carl Jr.'s. Fucking <laughs> bacon cheeseburger
1: when I was in high school. <laughs> I, a... I wanted to try bacon.
0: Um, <laughs> that's and... like diving into the world of <laughs> sin right well, there. Well, okay, like, you tell me. <laughs> yeah, it really was. So, <laughs> Even I but, don't have that.
1: But you tell me. The worst thing I've ever tasted was yeah. when I bit into a shredded beef taco by mistake, like an El Torito. That tasted so gross that I've never been able to like, Get myself to eat beef again, hmm. but is that particularly gross? Shreddy. I
0: don't know. I've never had that, but like you shouldn't be going to Carl Junior's or whatever, like Topo El Topo Trito. Chico El Burrito. Yeah, El, it's a you're it, going to the you don't bed, even wrong know places.
1: what that is, and you're saying that I shouldn't go. <laughs> well, I it's a very anti-Mexican of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, Mexican food can be really good. I live in a really good city for Mexican food, but... but um,
1: yeah, El Torino yeah. might not have been the best place to have... It was by mistake. It was probably also, like, biting into something unexpectedly is not the best experience.
0: Doesn't Carl Jr.'s <laughs> just, like, kill people? Or was that Jack in the Box? It oh, might have been Jack in the Box?
1: I don't know. With, like, E. coli or something?
0: <laughs> I, I forget, but there was, like, know. a series of killings... <laughs> That were like Uh all traced back to, I think it was now that I'm thinking it was Jack in the Box. But it's like, like, if that didn't shut the place down, the (laughs) fact that like nothing will, you know? Uh, Yeah. Anyway, Anyway. okay, so back to this.
1: But here, Mm -hmm. okay, so here's the other thing. So you might ask the question is this about general openness to experience or is it specifically about food? And so they try to test this out in one of the studies where they they designed OKCupid profiles, fake profiles, where somebody says, I'm super open to all kinds of new things like books, music, TV, um, except for I'm not when it comes to food. I'm pretty picky about that. Or the person said I'm super open to new foods, but like I'm pretty picky about like books, music, and TV. And um, they they were trying to test whether it's general openness that makes people seem like they're more sexually adventurous, and it seems as if it really is the food thing. And so what they find is they... I, yeah, yeah go I, ahead. And I was just going to say they find that they, that it is... Yeah. Um, these perceptions are correlated with perceived sexual disgust. So people think that people who are neophobic when it comes to food are particularly easily disgusted in the sexual domain, not, the, not other domains of disgust. Um, and so they think that that's what's driving it. They do like a little mediation analysis showing that that's what's driving it.
0: By the way, like... I got a little depressed when I looked at the like <laughs> the like procedure you know like data analysis like section or whatever, uh, because they're interviewing a hundred and something like Texas Christian University students, yeah and like kind of generalizing about like how like these enormous correlations between you know how people are perceived which i agree also to some extent accords with my intuitions but like the, the, the idea that they're going to be like and we did the t value whatever of like and it's like no 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 no, no. like you let's be honest here right like you did and I know they're not denying that they did undergraduate students like they even say that in uh, a limitation although they didn't say undergraduate students at a like religious institution (laughs) but like but like just the idea that this like, probably generalizes, but but somebody should, you know, needs to do the study to confirm that is insane. And just the idea that, like, these statistical, like, analyses, like, are, you know, the things that really matter here. I don't know. Well, they <laughs> I do actually got depressed for a second. But, they Not, do. but those yeah. are two different things, right? The
1: statistical analysis is necessary because even if you're showing it in a really restricted sample, if there's no statistically significant difference, then you don't have support. Right.
0: Like, I agree. It's just that it seems like that's almost secondary given the way the data was collected. And also, I, the thing that depressed me wasn't that. Obviously, you need to do statistical analysis. It's that it feels like when you like use this language, which admittedly I don't understand, it seems like it covers over like the, the uh, yeah, absurdity like, of... of, of what's being said based on the experiments that were done. And even just the idea, like, I don't know, maybe this is my bias for, like, not picky eaters, which I probably have, but the way they describe the picky eaters seems worse. Than how like a picky eater actually is like the idea that they pick (laughs) at their food and smell it and like just do like or or the person who's like yeah I'm open to a lot of new things except food like so don't even try to give me like food that I don't like right you know whereas somebody who is picky about their art or their you know like what they watch that just seems like you have discernment you know and so like oh
1: that's a that's a good point that you that you that your tastes about art, books, music, TV, say something more about your perhaps expertise in the domain. Yeah. Whereas not willing to try a, a new piece of food is not like, it's it's not like communicating that you're like a, a chef, like you're like a foodie. Right. Right? Exactly.
0: But huh. you're just communicating that like, you're not going to be like every other doofus, like watching Black Widow and thinking this is <laughs> high art. <laughs> hey, Black Widow, you know, didn't perform that well. And Scarlett
1: Johansson is pissed off. She's suing about it. We should do an episode. Disney.
0: This is what people tune into our podcast for. <laughs> but on the, like, streaming, you know, the fact that a, a movie goes straight to streaming and right. what that means for the industry. It definitely you know. seems like, you know, it's like a...
1: It, it feels more straight to video-y. Like, it takes something away from it. Um, it does, yeah. Uh, but, okay, but back to, to your point. So... That the stats might give it an Arab objectivity and generalizability, I think is. Not, I mean, I get it, but like, it's it's not so, it's not a fair critique of of the paper. But I do think what is a fair, well, the, and the reason I don't think so is because, as I said, I think they have to do the stats. But what is a fair critique is even though, as you say, they do mention the limitations, they have a paragraph. There is just something, and we've talked about this a lot. There is something about the way that researchers talk about the limitations of their studies when, as you say, what they're communicating is that this seems like a generalizable phenomenon. And then they have one paragraph that says, while the current research has many strengths and provides insights into directions for much future research, it also has a few limitations that should be considered. And it's like, no, like, you know, I'm not (coughs) gonna be a hypocrite here and say like, like I do, you know, think that generalizability is, gets too much attention as as a limitation. But in this case, you can't. They're they're making it such a little deal on purpose that it's like screams out. Right. This is like almost remote. like they
0: have to do it like as a formality. But come on, we all know this general.
1: Yeah. Like we're, this has many strengths. You might not think about it though, but there are a few little right. things <laughs> that maybe upon scrutiny uh, you might not. And as you say, like they t- collecting data on sexual restrictedness from a Christian university. I went to a fucking Christian university and like look, we were like normal people, but at least at least half of the students were not <laughs> like normal people. They're <laughs> like really gonna say something else. So like even having just a M Turk sample in this case would have been said yeah. something
0: you know i don't want to like put too much weight on the christian uni- like i think any university yes. like it's it's a problem because muslims suck too is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, when i said like I, I don't think it's a critique of the study obviously that they, that they yeah. include statistical analysis but i guess the depressing part was you know this is a decent journal right well it's the same journal that published the last evo psych thing that we mocked. Oh, it is. So I'm beginning okay. to think
1: maybe. I mean, but it's a mainstream. It's a mainstream journal.
0: It's a mainstream yeah, journal. Personality, individual difference. And it's uh, you know, like it just feels like that's the thing that they put in that then disguises these other like massive like screaming limitations that seem prior to uh the more technical statistical and in, in, in other words, like dealing yeah. with that seems like it's something that should be dealt with like before you start worrying. I mean, and I know yeah. that that's not that that's complicated, and like you know, ideally yeah. you do both of them. That's you know. not
1: unfair though. Yeah. I think it, I think that you know, it's it might be unfair to these specific people, like, But yeah, because every every yeah, paper does, it. does it. Yeah. yeah, but but it is true that we like hyper focus on certain details. I mean, this is something that like there are certain things that social psychologists or maybe psychologists know, do do poorly. And, um, you know, we're learning more and more about what those things are. But even before, I remember thinking uh, experimental philosophers would have these beautiful introductions to their papers with, like, this, like, really in-depth conceptual analysis. And then they would do, like, a really shitty survey. It was just, like, really poorly done. And social psychologists would have these super, you know, like, complicated, methodologically interesting manipulations and all these different ways of measuring it. But their conceptual analysis, it was like they were measuring the same thing twice. It was, like, like, dumb. Right. It was a dumb and, study. Or,
0: or what they were measuring, it wasn't clear that it matched <laughs> yeah. anything that like, yeah like, exactly. that we normally associate with that concept. Yeah, right. And so another I, way of saying I, what you're saying.
1: Yeah, so. and I feel like I was always sort of on writing the ass of social psychologists to be more conceptually clear about that stuff. But in this case, like I think we have to be a, just a bit more clear about uh, like this does implicitly and explicitly communicate that this is saying something about humans in general. And it would be it, like I if they just staged it as like this is a really limited, you know, set of studies, it'd be one thing. But it it would it wouldn't be hard to collect data from just like one other population. Like, <laughs> right. One, and be. one. <laughs> just to see, just to see if they found the same thing. In, like look but don't anybody look at my discussion sections because I'm sure I'm <laughs> guilty of the same thing. <laughs> but we've actually had to do data collections or chosen to do data collections at malls to get like real people, especially when we're talking about political orientation. And it's like, well you can't generalize from Cornell students, right? Like you, like especially <laughs> about conservatism. These people are are right. not. Um so we would go to you know we're surrounded by a red population. So we would go to the mall and get like real people and I think that's necessary, and I think the reviewer should have pushed for that. But but hey, I still still meshes with my intuition. I have a question, though. If you find out that somebody's, like, porn hub history has, like, all kinds of shit, you know, like gang bangs, but also, like, you know, tender lesbian porn, yeah. would you assume that they would eat a lot of different things? <laughs> <laughs> that it goes the other way? <laughs> like... I see that you like BDSM,
0: but also yeah. uh, gay porn. Well, um, this is a study that you need to, <laughs> to do. Sure. Like the pr- future research. Future research should see where the prediction goes the other way. You know. Uh. All I know is
1: now I finally understand why I ate that bacon at Carl <laughs> Jr. because I wanted the chicks around me to know that I go down. Yeah. I go down. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, he'll lick. He'll lick booty. If he eats that, he'll lick. <laughs> lick some ass. <laughs>
0: He will lick my ass and let me ball gag him, hang him upside down, and, like, whip him. Um, that's a good question, actually. Like, would you assume, like, if you go to, like, some S&M, like, dungeon, do you then assume, like, if you see that person out at uh, a restaurant, that they're going to be culinarily adventurous? Hmm. I have no experience with that, so. I
1: don't either. I... It's weird because I have, like— The people who are into that specifically BDSM, I could see them also being super highly regulated in their normal lives in a way that they're you know. (laughs) That's totally true. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or
0: they could be like me, like I hate eggplant, like, but maybe if I was into that, I would like make myself eat the eggplant. (laughs) Because because the punishment feels so good. <laughs> the pain of eggplant I've been naughty I need some, <laughs> <laughs> more eggplant uh, Alright all right. <laughs> uh, Let's turn to uh, A couple of really cool stories From one of our favorites Borges Today's episode is brought to you By one of our all time favorite sponsors GiveWell Donating money to help people is a wonderful and selfless act, but you want to feel confident that your donations are improving lives and saving lives in the most effective way possible. How do you do that? Well, you could do weeks of research, go through all the meta-analyses, trying to find out what charities are out there, how effective their programs are, or just in one step, you could go to givewell.org where they've done that already. There you'll get a short vetted list of the best charities they found at saving or improving lives the most per dollar. GiveWell has spent more than a decade researching charitable organizations and only recommends a few of the highest impact evidence-backed charities. Over 50,000 donors have used GiveWell to donate over $750 million dollars. We're very proud to note that our listeners have donated well over $200,000 to GiveWell's evidence-backed charities, and here's one of the reasons why GiveWell is free. GiveWell wants to empower as many donors as possible to make informed decisions about their donations. They publish all of their research and recommendations on their site for free, no sign-up required. You can just use them for research if you want. And then if you do decide to give a donation, they don't take a cut of it. They allocate all your tax-deductible donation to the charity that you choose. This is one of many reasons why the Boston Globe, my hometown paper, calls GiveWell the gold standard for giving. Here are just a few examples of what donations can achieve with GiveWell's recommended charities. bed nets to prevent malaria, vitamin A supplements, and direct cash transfers for extreme poverty. This is the one that I've chosen the last few times I've given with GiveWell. All of these charities work so effectively to improve and save lives. Now, if you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $1,000 before the end of August, so there's only a few weeks left, or as long as matching funds last. So you again, you can have your donation matched up to $1,000 to claim your match, just pick podcast and very bad wizards, or enter the code very bad wizards at checkout. Make sure that they know that you heard about GiveWell from Very Bad Wizards to get your donation matched. Thanks to GiveWell for sponsoring this episode.
1: Bad Wizards, this is the time in the podcast where we like to take a moment and talk to you guys about how much well, I shouldn't say you guys, I'm gonna get canceled. Yeah, you all to y'all, <laughs> and thank you for uh, all the ways it in which you interact with us. We really appreciate all the communication that you give us, all the support that you give us in various ways. Um, we like being part of the discussion and we like just observing your discussion. If you want to talk to us, you can email us at verybadwizards at gmail.com or you can tweet to us at verybadwizards or at peas and at Tamler. You can um, engage in the Reddit community discussion, which was recently pissing Tamler
0: off. Um, <laughs> by going- <laughs> which, is, <laughs> <laughs> which is not consistent with what we say in the in the, about borges and i like we talk about yeah, yeah. i uh, should know we're recording this we're recording this
1: at a different time than what we say yeah, no was, we love reddit it's just uh, you know they really have the power to sometimes push one of our buttons yes yeah. um yeah reddit.com slash r slash very bad wizards find our community there you can follow us on instagram uh, just search for very bad wizards We very much appreciate it when you go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and even give us a review. In fact, we get a little summary every week of the the ratings and reviews we've gotten. And when it just shows the ratings and there's no review that week, like my my heart sinks a little. I'm like, like, oh.
0: Yeah, please do. But yes,
1: listen and subscribe to us on Spotify if that's where you prefer to get uh, your podcasts because... Um, that also matters to us. So thank you, uh, everybody, for interacting with us. We really, really appreciate it.
0: Yes, and if you would like to support us in more tangible ways, um, you can give us a one-time or recurring donation on PayPal or become one of uh, one of the members of our growing Patreon community. Um, and there's a lot going on in, um, over this last Few weeks, right? I'm. Um, we released the ghost bonus episode. You, you then released an episode, um, a bonus episode on Star Trek's The Inner Light. Yeah,
1: with Paul, even with though Paul. you and I had discussed that one already. I know. Uh, Paul wanted to get in on it. He wanted I, to usurp you, I believe
0: I, is the word. Yeah. Has anyone <laughs> said which discussion they liked better?
1: <laughs> no, but but uh, I feel like Paul's trying out, you know, for, <laughs>
0: for the, for, yeah, once uh, I get booted.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, but we might do another one. He, he liked it uh, enough that, that we might do uh, another Star Trek episode.
0: You also are starting to release, and you've already released one of your lectures um, yeah. for the $5 and up listeners um, per episode, your intro psych lectures. Yeah, that's right. So I, the, the intro
1: psych lectures that I recorded for last year's class, I figured I wanted to share them.
0: And I might drop a couple in there. I had some recorded from last year, a few, you know, but they won't be as polished. I'm just warning everyone right now. There'll be a little bit more kind of... Uh, it's all about the content. And mine well. are more underground. You know, <laughs> <Yeah. right? laughs> and And uh, we're just starting, $10 and up per episode listeners, and there are a few of you out there that we wanted to reward, and so... Um, we are going to release monthly ask me anything videos in response to questions that we will put up um, and one and a call for questions should be up by the time you hear this episode and we will have a video out in a couple uh, in a couple weeks. We also have another bonus episode already recorded in the can and probably release it within the next couple of days. So a lot going on on Patreon. We hope you, um, Consider joining that community. You can also buy t shirts, coffee mugs, um, everything, a lot of merch, and baby bibs. And you can find all of that on the VeryBadWizards.com support page.
1: I'm going to start a um, Very Bad Wizards antinatalism
0: condoms. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With the little monkeys on, on the condom. Yeah, that gets bigger, the monkey. Maybe the monkey, like, as, like, you get an erection, the monkey also gets an erection. Can we? <laughs> the, the ape, you know, like, uh, one of those big red kind of.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's doable. <laughs>
0: um, Yeah, and thank you so much. We really appreciate your generosity. Um, it, it means the world to us, keeps the lights on, keeps us doing what we're doing. And all right.
1: All right, let's turn to our main topic. So, we're, as, as Tamler said at the beginning of the episode, we're talking about two very short Borges stories. Uh, the first is Emma Zunes, and the second is Borges and I. Borges and I is literally a page long. So, we, and Emma Zunes is like five pages long. So, we'll put links. It's freely available online. So, you should definitely read it. Um, but let's start talking about uh, Emma Zunes. So, Emma Zunes is a short story about a woman who uh takes vengeance for her father who recently died and had been imprisoned she thinks unjustly for the crimes that a a different person committed so she formulates a plan to kill this other person and and she does it um and i think the, that's the gist. So why don't we talk about it. Tamler? What did you think about uh, Emma Because I'm the one who recommended it. I'm curious how how you liked it.
0: Yeah, and I was wondering why you recommended it. Uh, I mean, this is a very Jewish story. Uh, <laughs> that's and Borges had a fascination with Jews, much like I think you have a fascination. He's, he's my with my
1: peeps. Jews. You know, like yeah. we're we're, we're <laughs> outsiders looking in. you know, fascinated
0: yeah. by it. <laughs> uh, I. So, like, a couple of things that struck me about it. It's the easiest Borges story to read by, like, a long shot. Like, at least on the surface, and it's, I would say, uh, definitely on the surface, it's the most straightforward story of his that we've talked about by a lot. You know, there's all sorts of other things that complicate the straightforward revenge story. And also, like, I am a sucker for daughter revenge
1: <laughs> you certainly are you almost <laughs> want somebody to wrong you so that you can see if your daughter will come and, like, f- <laughs> exactly fuck i up. want to
0: be killed by someone <laughs> so that my daughter can avenge me and just like it'll be worth it for me to die but no like i don't know like my probably my favorite tarantino or at least it's up there, is inglorious bastards i devoted the revenge chapter and why honor matters to, like, three daughter revenge stories. Like <laughs> Sophocles, Electra, Maddie Ross in True Grit, and then this Laura Blumenfeld, who I think we've talked about, who wanted to get revenge for her dad being shot by a Palestinian militant. Um, and and what I, I was trying to think why I like these stories so much. Um, I think there's something about the fact that the daughter is kind of, you know, in a real, the odds, it's a underdog story. The odds are stacked against the daughter and all. The power imbalance is usually massive in this genre. And they all, they have to go to lengths that nobody else is willing to go to, to to, to get justice, to get vengeance. And I think Emma Zunz is like the purest example of this kind of narrative, given the thing that she sacrifices Um which I think no father would want right. for their daughter, but she is—you um, didn't—you didn't mention this in the very short summary, but she's a virgin. She's 19 years old, and as part of her way of framing th- uh, the person who she thinks framed her, her father, uh, she has sex with a Scandinavian sailor. Yeah, um, and under the guise a, of
1: a prostitute, she gets paid for it too.
0: Yes. Right. And so that she can then claim that, um, Aaron Lowenthal, um, he, she can say that he raped her and that's why he shot her. Right. Like it's a, you know, it is a very, it, it hits the beats of some of these, of this complicated genre. Yeah. Cause they're all complicated right. in their own way. But, but this one has like extra, like Borges, complexities, yeah. you know, like the meta-narrative touches. I think there's a huge cloud of uncertainty about what actually happened, whether the daughter it really is right that this guy yeah. framed her father, and even whether the father killed himself or not. Yeah. And and so, like, while it's a genre piece, and you can read it in, like, five minutes, which just isn't true of the other Borges, which like <clears throat> make you, like, it's, like, hard to get into some of them at first, even yeah. though you end up just being obsessed with them, but, like, uh, this one is just like kind of easy to read, but it's still a Borges story in the end, which I really liked.
1: Yeah, oh, I'm glad you liked it. Um, I, re- I, I loved it. I loved it because of the, the layers that he adds. So Emma Zunes gets a letter that her father died from overdosing on a barbiturate, actually. And yeah. she just infers that he committed suicide because the letter yeah. says that he accidentally ingested too much of this drug. Um, right. And the letter is from Brazil. She's in Argentina. Um, she receives this letter. Her stump, you know, sh- her heart drops when she reads that her father has died. Her father is clearly living in Brazil, as an he's yeah, yeah fugitive he's, maybe he's a fugitive pro- yeah he he had been accused of a crime and sentenced to prison. But we know that he has taken a different name and is living in Brazil. So she gets a letter from Brazil saying that he had died, and she has what she believes to be the truth about the crime that he was accused of which is that uh the the crime of embezzling funds was actually committed by a person who owns the factory in which she works that her father worked for as well and her father had told her this guy was really the guy who embezzled the, the guy is now a co-owner of the plant a rich a rich fellow and uh, a rich Jew a rich you can Jew I can it was on the tip of my tongue i didn't want to yeah. You know, I don't
0: like insulting Jews. although <laughs> he, he, uh, it's the, the, the name of the mill is Tarbuck and Lowenthal. Yeah. And given the alphabetics, like he's clearly second author of the weaving <laughs> of, uh, of <laughs> mill. <laughs> That's
1: right. Um, so she you know she formulates this plan, as you said, to to justify her act by claiming that he assaulted her. And the way that she does it is that she goes to this owner of the plant, Lowenthal, under the guise of being a snitch that there's going to be a strike at the factory. Yeah. And, um, she sets up a meeting with him on the weekend and she knows, as everybody knows on on a Saturday, that's right. I didn't even think about that. Um, and everybody knows that he, the guy has a gun in his drawer. So with that knowledge, she sets up this meeting when he goes to get her a glass of water after she's pretending to snitch on people at the factory who are going to strike. Um, by the way, this guy is described as sort of yeah, like a stereotypically greedy Jew, right? Like he's he's fat, he's bald, he's clearly money hungry. And at least according to the narrator. According to right? the narrator. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um he is he he married a rich wife, the wife died. Um, the narrator says that the guy always loved money more anyway. And um so she picks up the gun while he's getting her a glass of water and shoots him dead doesn't even get to say the things that she's been preparing to say, like the the whole revenge thing that she was going to say about her dad as she shoots the guy. And as he's dying, she tries to get it out, but she's never quite sure whether or not
0: the yeah. dying
1: guy heard that this is why he was being shot.
0: But I think this is characteristic of these kinds of narratives, is the actual act of revenge doesn't go as the yeah. Avenger imagines it, right. you know? You know, you have this perfect justice being served, ideal, like like a f- form or something in your head. But what actually happens is just kind of, it's clumsy, it's a mess. Right. It's like, um, because of course that's how it would that's be. How, yeah. like, how, like a 19-year-old <laughs>
1: right.
0: Jewish virgin isn't going to, pull off, like, the perfect act of revenge, <laughs> right. you know? It's kind of amazing that she, you know, if, if we are to believe the narrative as it's being relayed to us, like, it's kind of amazing that she did it as well as she did, and, you know, Borges has a kind of interesting reason for why she got away with it, which we can
1: talk yeah, about. Yeah, which is really why I started even saying this, and I ended up in a long summary, but it ends with her reporting the the killing and saying that she was raped Tell, she's telling this story that she's trying hard to make herself believe. It's like this very, it seems like a very um, intentional kind of self deception. But uh, it's worth. I think it's worth reading the last uh, couple paragraphs when she, she's so as she's this is her reporting the crime. Then she picked up the telephone and repeated what she was to repeat so many times in those and other words something has happened, something unbelievable. Senor Lowenthal sent for me on the pretext of the strike. He raped me. I killed him. The story was unbelievable, yes, and yet it convinced everyone, because in substance, it was true. Emma Zunza's tone of voice was real. Her shame was real. Her hatred was real. The outrage that had been done to her was real as well. All that was false were the circumstances, the time, and one or two proper names. And that's,
0: that's how it that's. <laughs> One of the things I want to ask you about is the one or two... <laughs> Proper names, because I think that's a great—you know—that's a perfect little Borges ambiguity (laughs) there, like to like. I think you can interpret like that in a lot of different ways. But before getting there, like maybe we should—I don't know—talk about to what extent we trust what's going on in this story. Um, Yeah, because I think you can read this pretty straightforwardly and that's not an invalid reading i think you know there are things that make you question what it is that you're reading but like i think you could just take it as this is what happened so her dad really did get framed her dad then had to flee the country and go to brazil which for argentinians is like torture it's it's, it's, yeah it's (laughs) shameful and then like just took a bunch of sleeping pills to kill himself, right? And so she came up with this plan, which she executed, and it didn't go perfectly, but it went well enough for her to do what she set out to do. Yeah. And to the extent that we're supposed to question the story. It's more over, is this just, is this, did she do the right thing? So I think that's definitely one way of looking at it. And I, and I, you know, I definitely want to talk about like, you know, is this a just thing? Would you want your child to do it? Especially given, you know, the specific thing that she does in order to make her revenge happen, which is to like have sex with Somebody that she deliberately chooses as a kind of like foul mouthed, smelly, like it seems like there's a there's a sailor she could have chosen that was nice, yeah, but she decides not to do that because she says, so that there might be no mitigation of the purity of the horror. Yeah. In other words, so I think what she either like there's a lot of ways to interpret that. One is just for the plan to go properly she has to be truly disgusted by what happened to her yeah and if she shows any signs of like well that wasn't just a utterly repulsive experience you know like then the cops won't believe me but it could also be that she is like there's some sort of meaning to what she's doing she wants that utter like pure sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice worse than death death you know, oh, that's interesting. losing your virginity to somebody that is... Yeah, uh,
1: because the, the the way that I read it initially is a sort of masterful way of preparing for the lie, that that disgust was truly in her voice when she yeah. reported the rape. And so it right. seemed like a pretty genius way of making your lie convincing to find the most disgusting sailor that you can. But the, the way that you say it, as... Not just as a means of being truly disgusted, but rather as a way to not insert anything pleasurable or nice into this act. Because, yeah, right, like
0: to give herself the right, yeah, to, to, to take vengeance right. in this way,
1: right. And she clearly that didn't ha- enjoy it. She, you know, she had there's a line that made me laugh about she it says, she thought she could not help thinking that her father had done to her mother the horrible thing being done to her now. I take it that that sailor did not eat a lot of different foods.
0: Um. (laughs) I want to read that whole paragraph. So she says, in that time outside time in that welter of disjointed and horrible sensations, did Amazon's think even once about the death that inspired her sacrifice? So presumably her father, yeah. In my view, she thought – and which is interesting that he that the narrator says, in my view. Super interesting. You know? yeah. uh, she thought about it once, and that was enough to endanger her desperate goal. Because what she actually thinks, she says she thought she could not help thinking that her father had done to her mother the horrible thing being done to her now. She thought it with weak-limbed astonishment and then immediately took refuge in, in vertigo. So yeah. this is what, like, complicates, you know, like, again, on a – surface quote-unquote surface level is what complicates the narrative because you are getting revenge on behalf of your father but as part of that process you're having sex with somebody and the, the the first thing you think is this guy who's who i'm totally repulsed by is like my father and he violated my mother in the way that i am being violated right now All right like if that's that that's already like okay this isn't going according to to plan in terms of, you know, a perfect revenge narrative, um, how this is supposed to go. It's like you are getting revenge on behalf of s- somebody who's doing something that is completely shameful. That's how she feels yeah. at that moment. Right. Um, and then just to yeah. keep with this, but she says right before she, she shoots Aaron Lowenthal, she says that, so, sitting before Aaron Lowenthal, Emma felt more than the urgency to avenge her father, the urgency to punish the outrage she herself had suffered. She could not not kill him after being so fully and thoroughly dishonored. Yeah. Talk so,
1: about a, I mean, talk about it. Like, if what she's doing is some sort of pre commitment strategy to mm-hmm. make sure that she was properly in the mental state to shoot a man. And so she yeah. let herself get violated. It's, I mean, it's pretty brilliant if that's what she's doing.
0: Or is, is she taken by surprise at this? Like, it seems like the the motive was enough because the motive to avenge her father got her to do that, like, horrible thing in the first place, have sex with, like, some s- dirty Swede. <laughs> yeah, I or said Norwegian, like, by the way. I Norwe- meant Swede or Finn. Is he a Swede? Uh, no, Swede.
1: Actually. It says a Swede or Finn, but I said Norwegian. I didn't mean to implicate the poor Norwegians.
0: That's racist. (laughs) Uh, But like, there's also this like weird kind of reverse causation where like the imagined act of revenge causes the act that ends up being avenged. She imagines killing him, right? Like that's the goal is to kill him and bring justice to her father, avenge her father, But then that leads her to do something that is the thing that actually motivates her to kill her dad. The the act of revenge, the idea of revenge causes her to do the thing that ends up being the thing that that makes her avenge her father. Right. So the causation is it gets jumbled there.
1: So it's interesting. So this okay, so this when I was thinking about what she did, so the like why she let herself get fucked by the sailor. By the way, she rips up the money that the, the guy pays uh, her. Yeah. And it's, it's a hilarious sort of like... But then she immedi- immediately regrets having
0: ripped up the money. Because it's an act of impiety. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is like... Uh, and this may be betraying my own heritage, but like I get that. Oh, like, it's Just totally ripping legit. up money. Even like, ripping a dollar bill seems wrong yeah, to me. It seems like, well, you could give that money to somebody <laughs> yeah. if you're before ripping it up. You know? Right,
1: right. So I was thinking about why she had sex with the sailor nowadays I would think well because they're going to do a rape kit you know they're going to check whether or not she really had had sex and and then I was like but would they do that back then I guess if she was a virgin they might check that's not very reliable but they might check to see if she was still a virgin to see if like her hymen was intact by the way hymen Roth is uh, also a Jew um
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good connection. Really
1: nice connection. <laughs> um, so I wasn't sure if she did it for the emotional reasons or for the physical reasons.
0: Right. Could she have done this and just said she was almost raped? You know, like, did she have to actually go through... Uh, or said
1: she was raped and just, like, <laughs> like, would they Would they check to see, like, for his sperm to be in her? You know, like, what... Uh, it doesn't strike me that it's something they would do, but she, she could have tried also to seduce... Lowenthal himself.
0: Yeah, he doesn't seem like
1: <laughs> he cared more about.
0: <laughs> Although, but I mean like neither did the guy, yeah. you know. But maybe he probably wouldn't have. Yeah, uh, he'd know. be like, "Look, do you like I'm trying to put down this strike. Do you have any information for me or not? Put put on your clothes. I'm not interested. <laughs> You're not that hot." <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't eat adventurous foods.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> um so I inferred that this was commitment device and a pre-commitment device emotionally but I don't know I'm like it's it would be some sort of twisted moral luck not moral luck but but you know as you say that the very thing that she had let happen to herself was the thing that motivated her to pull the trigger but we don't know if she would have pulled the trigger for vengeance reasons had she yeah. not been violated by the Swede or Finn
0: there's also like I really think like we should talk a little bit about like when he, like to what extent any of this is like really happened like and I, you know uh, I think you can ask that about like a lot of things first whether he truly died by suicide which is the thing that she kind of like pushes her over the edge I have to get justice now and then uh, because all she gets is a letter from somebody who she can't even read their name, but to the extent that she can, it says feign with an E or feign with an A. And so like feign, like make, make up, you know, it's like an allusion to the word feign, huh. uh, F-E-I-G-N um, in English yeah. that Borges was doing it. That's interesting, yeah.
1: Uh, Borges definitely knew and wrote in English, so he would know what he was And doing.
0: then just the way that the narrator then says... You know, after making it th- this just letter from a total stranger who doesn't even know who he's writing to, Right. like, how did we get to suicide there based on, like, somebody, some Brazilian stranger saying he accidentally ingested an overdose of veronal, And then you, you, you read a few sentences down and you get her just kind of memories, uh, including the Chekhov's yellow lozenges, <laughs> which yeah. will come back <laughs> later. Right. <laughs> he says, like, and at the end of all these little reminiscences, yellow lozenges on the windowsill, like her, her mother, who we assume is dead, like anonymous letters about embezzlements of funds, like the dad being, but then just, and then also on the last night, her father had sworn that the thief was Lowenthal, um, now one of the owners of the mill, which she never told anybody. And, and so it's like, well, just on the last day, that he said that one time is that enough for us to be sure that this that that's true? I don't know. You know, like I don't. The yeah, story doesn't more, want us to know. It. Yeah. It's
1: she clearly has made a leap. I think it's interesting why she would be so motivated to make that leap immediately. Yeah. Um, but you know what? One of the things that I really liked. I was reading this out loud um, to Nikki because I thought it was so powerful. Um, when she gets the letter that her father's dead. This is what I want my daughter to feel. Um, (laughs) Emma dropped the letter. The first thing she felt was sink as a sinking in her stomach and a trembling in her knees. Then a sense of blind guilt, of unreality, of cold, of fear, then a desire for this day to be passed. Then immediately she realized that such a wish was pointless for her father's death was the only thing that had happened in the world. And it would go on happening endlessly forever after. I thought that was such a, that's (laughs) I,
0: I, That's <laughs> how you want your daughter yeah. to, <laughs> that you that you're dying. <laughs> yeah, will just go on endless <laughs> into infinity. It.
1: But it seems like the kind of reaction that yeah. I would genuinely have upon the notice of a death of somebody I loved, where it seems like it's the only thing that has happened in the world, and it will forever keep happening. Like, yeah it it was just, it's so striking, and 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 so in that grief, her leaps to concoct this revenge fantasy. You know, right. make sense that this was born out of such uh, a, a grieving person.
0: So I really think that is open to question deliberately by Borges, which does make th- one possibility that this is like an, a re- revenge fantasy, as you put it, that is concocted in some in some sense by her familiarity with like the genre that I love, like the daughter avenger you know like she just kind of you know she has this job she works at a steel mill or or what is what kind of mill is it weaving mill so she works at a weaving mill you know where her father was disgraced and left it's like she can now give her life maybe this is a a pointless life from her perspective and she can give this life a kind of romantic, I don't know, like she can give it significance in some ways, yeah. some kind of substance. So it isn't just her going to work and like pretending to care about men, but being terrified by men. And like, you know, I, so it definitely seems like that could be what's going on too. Like this is right. reminds me of garden of forking paths, which also had kind of on the surface, perhaps a straightforward story, but it. At no point did you were you sure that this wasn't just like a fever dream of, right. uh, and and a massive delusion on the part of the protagonist. Yeah, and that's interesting, like because that's different than most revenge stories. Most revenge stories, the facts are pretty much. Yeah. stable and it's just the, the the ethical questions that are being uh, right. addressed
1: they're, they're they're always as straightforward as my name is inigo montoya you killed my father prepared to die <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: yeah or like you know like unforgiven or like you know like there's no doubt about what actually happened there's no doubt about whether the act that is being avenged actually happened there's just the and most i'm sure there are exceptions to this but this is like there's doubt at every level there you is know.
1: you're you're right. There is. I was thinking about this earlier. There's a f- a fuzziness to the whole thing. Yeah. It's like no- nothing is quite certain, and it's it's well captured by the nine or ten smudgy lines covered almost the entire piece of paper. <laughs> right. It's all just kind of there. She even seems to when she goes out to find a bar where you know she could pick up a sailor. She, it's described as. In this way where she's like seems almost to dissociate when she's walking through
0: the streets, yes, you know right that that paragraph, right? Like to recount this is the narrator speaking yeah. to recount with some degree of reality, the events of that evening would be difficult and perhaps inappropriate. Um, one characteristic of Hell is its unreality, which might be thought to mitigate Hell's terrors, but perhaps makes them all the worse, yeah. Where the narrator is just saying, look, I'm not, like, I don't even think it would be appropriate for me to tell you, even if I could, what actually happened that night. Um, so I'm just going to give you a, a smudgy vision of it. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting twist yeah. on this thing where we don't even, yeah, we have no idea how this all went down at every level.
1: Yeah. I feel sorry for Lowenthal to be the victim of such a fuzzy-headed vengeance scheme where... <laughs> if it's
0: right, if, if he uh, if, if it was yeah. her trying
1: to make meaning in a shitty life, you know, and he gets shot for it, there he is just yells at her in <laughs> Yiddish as he dies his, at the end, he's <laughs> cursing at her in Spanish and Yiddish, just like a, a whole bunch of just curses coming out of his mouth.
0: Which would I would love to hear those curses because <laughs> like Yiddish cursing is great,
1: <laughs> and even even the sentence she recalled or tried to recall her mother, there's just a fuzziness throughout. You know, it's like what's going on in his mind. But what happened to the mother? We don't know. She recalled summer outings to a small farm near Gualeguay, which I just needed to say is in the province in Argentina in which I was born. Oh, nice. Yeah, and and yeah, you can see her father is a last ditch effort to preserve honor. Yeah, accusing this other guy.
0: You know, just make like so her daughter, his daughter, doesn't think of him as a total like fuck up and disgrace right. you know like giving her a little sense of yeah. we're not at we're not a shameful family we just got hosed
1: right so this, this is something i've been wanting to ask you for the last 20 minutes what do you think is behind your love of these daughter revenge stories like is it is it that it's the ultimate expression of love by the daughter to do this
0: i mean that is you know that was sort of in my book I said that that was one of the functions of revenge. Like, one of the good aspects of revenge is that it is an expression of love and closeness and loyalty, exactly because of the sacrifice that you have to make, the costs you suffer, the the risks you undertake. But, like, what completely fucks that up, and what makes me think. I would never want my daughter to do this is the part where she has sex with a dirty <laughs> sweet or Finn? Like, that's her first sexual experience. Like, there's nothing that could happen to me that, I, that that's what I would want. Like, you know, like, true grit. She doesn't have to do that. She has to risk yeah. her life, and she has to, um, right. you know, Electra has to do all sorts of things, but not that. There's something about that that...
1: It's especially bad to me that her thoughts about her father while she's <laughs> right. getting basically, you know, she's not getting raped. She's consensual, but, um, but it's not for in pleasure. Yeah. It's, she's being violated in some sense and that her thoughts would go to her father. I thought to myself, is she saying, she's not say, she's just saying that the act of sex is so disgusting. Is she, You know, as a young virgin, having a drunken sailor, fuck you. This is the first time you ever have sex seems terrible. But I was hoping that she wasn't saying that her dad raped her mom or like i know but yeah. it's, it, she could be almost
0: yeah
1: i know and and the thought that she would have that thought that like this is what men do Ew. as the thought that linked her to like this is what my father did that, right. it's a terrible terrible thought like that that would pop
0: in which is why that like when she actually kills him it's m- not anymore out of avenging her yeah. father it's about avenging the thing that, that men happened do. it's the
1: thing that men do which is it's
0: yeah yeah there's none of the kind of whatever i like about these kinds of stories and and it's never uncomplicated it's there's always all sorts of you know things that you have to question yourself and your reaction to it but but here there's these things are multiplied and and like you said lay, there's layer upon layer of uncertainty yeah. by it that it actually just made me question like maybe this is kind of a romantic fantasy or something you yeah. know like of of the 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 pa- the relatively powerless underdog the oppressed on behalf of her family like doing the thing that nobody else was willing to do like you know that that, that there's something wrong with even wanting that you know because this is this is how it could all be it could all be <laughs> right. you know disgusting like uncertain uh messy and like the only thing that comes of it is just a bunch of yiddish curses like, <laughs> hurled at you
1: <laughs> let's get then to the question that you asked about the the end and i want to read this last yeah. paragraph again after we've discussed it for, for the listeners because it's more powerful now that we've gone through the details then she picked up the telephone and repeated what she was to repeat so many times in those and other words something has happened something unbelievable senor lowenthal sent for me on the pretext of the strike he raped me. I killed him. The story was unbelievable, yes, and yet it convinced everyone because in substance it was true. Emma tone of voice was real. Her shame was real. Her hatred was real. The outrage that had been done to her was real as well. All that was false were the circumstances, the time, and one or two proper names. Yeah. So the one or two proper names is just <laughs> yes, the kind of mindfuck that Borges would, would toss yeah. in there. Because in what she said, there's only one proper name. Right, <laughs> <laughs> there's only Mister Lowenthal, and the one or two is just like what? What does that mean? What's this? What's the second proper name that was wrong? Was it possibly a second reference to her proper. father? Her father's name? Is yeah, a reference to her.
0: I. It, it's funny because. I don't even totally have, like, an interpretation if yeah. you go, like, the other way, you know? Like, so it's not Lowenthal that, that raped her, right. right? It's this guy. So, I, like, here's one possibility. I don't know exactly how it works, but one or two proper names could be, like, her outrage was we- real, but maybe Lowenthal didn't frame her. Somebody else framed, uh, didn't frame her father. Somebody else framed her father. Yeah. Um. And so she got revenge on the wrong person. But I guess that would be the same name. It's just that yeah. he's being accused of two crimes he didn't commit. <laughs> right. In 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 her mind. But like,
1: it is, is the tone of voice, shame, hatred, and outrage, all just a result of having sex with the sailor.
0: Yeah, I think so. Right. Like yeah. that's the thing is that I think it is. Yeah. And, and maybe the hatred is of. Low and because he, she really thinks he yeah. framed her father, and not only did she f- he frame her father, but because he framed her father, then she had to have sex with a dirty Swede or <laughs> Finn. Right. I yeah. I don't. I don't exactly know what to make of that, and I think that the narrator is kind of interesting in this because. It's not an omniscient narrator, narrator, but it's not a narrator that is just going by, like, events as the narrator heard it either. The narrator seems to have some sort of special access to what happened, but also certain things that are closed off to the narrator. Right. And so I think it's also like the narrator is constructing some kind of story where the narrator knows some details, but not... Uh, all the details. And 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 the narrator even has opinions, which is kind of interesting. Like, the, right. the, in my view, this <laughs> right. is...
1: You know one thing we didn't talk about? Two paragraphs are devoted to what she did that the day before Revenge. Yeah. Like, getting together, making sure the day was as normal as possible. She went to work. Then it says she went to a women's club that had a gymnasium and a swimming pool. Uh, she discussed with Elsa and the younger of the Kronfus girls which moving picture they would see Sunday evening. Then there was talk of boyfriends. No one expected Emma to have anything to say. In April she would be nineteen, but men still inspired in her an almost pathological fear. Home again, she made soup thickened with manioc flakes and some vegetables. Ate early, went to bed, and forced herself to sleep. It's funny details that, that yeah. like it's unclear <laughs> why.
0: I think she's like trying. I mean, again, you could read it straightforwardly. She's trying to act normal, yeah. like. So in the end,
1: um we don't know whether or not she's satisfied with his revenge um, mm-hmm. but that last paragraph or the last couple sentences weirdly the english divides it into paragraphs that the spanish one doesn't but um that okay. is it's like it seems as if he's hinting to the possibility that she will that this will in her memory at least she might self deceive that, that she set this up so that her her emotional reaction is going to feel genuine and that in the end she might have done this in order to, like, truly believe that she was justified in killing.
0: Right, 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 right. And in fact, earlier, she says, how to make plausible an act in which she, who was to commit it, scarcely believed, how to recover those brief hours of chaos that Emma Zunz's memory today Repudiates and confuses, so like it that just makes it seem like right now she doesn't even really know what happened then, like she was on autopilot maybe yeah. after the after the act, and now she doesn't even know what happens, which again, it, it, it's very, again, just throws into confusion what happened at any point in the story. But there's an interesting line right after that where she said, where it says, "On the infamous Pasio de Julio." Uh, Sorry for the pronunciation. She may have seen herself (laughs) multiplied in mirrors. Yeah. Made public by lights. So, uh, like, I think that is, like, she may have seen herself just all these different versions of herself, and she doesn't know which version is the real Amazons, and, like, that will never... She'll never know. And maybe, like, you know, there's a question of whether any of us know, uh, which could lead us to the next story. But, like... I think that's an interesting image that is very befitting of the story is this she may have seen her image ref- reflected by multiple mirrors like all these different kind of possible amazons are, are are preceding the act that was going to be you know her shame her ultimate shame yeah
1: that's super interesting it does it does seem like a dissociative act like her her, her. self is breaking like this, the mm-hmm. self of Zunz is breaking into mon- many different selves, and she can't even tell you what happened that night. Yeah, it's super interesting. You know, that multiplied by mirrors reminds me of the quote we've talked about before. Uh, Borges says in Toulon, Ukbar, and what Orbis, um, yeah, mirrors uh, and copulation uh, are abominable since they both multiply the numbers of men. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, that's super interesting that her psyche is disjointed almost, That that mirrors line. Yeah. As, as, as is the case with many more histories, we just are, we don't know. We're not given the satisfaction of knowing. And the, the narrator is never too reliable. In this case, the protagonist isn't too reliable either. Yeah. Even if she were telling us the story, we wouldn't know
0: the ground is shifting beneath the reader at, like uh, in every possible way yeah. with this story and yet it's his most straightforward it's, like it's, kind of like genre piece narrative like that's yeah. what's so unbelievable it's about great. Borges. that's great
1: This episode of Very Bad Wizards is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash vbw. You know, as I'm getting ready to start up my semester, everything is building up and I'm feeling a whole bunch of stress. And that stress is taking its toll on me, on my relationships, on the way I respond to people. You might be the same way. You don't need to be me to know what stress is like or to know what feeling down and out or feeling depressed is like or having anxiety or feeling strain in your relationships. If you want to, if you're looking for some help, and you want to talk to somebody who's completely unbiased about your life, someone who's not going to judge you or take sides on anything, you might want to turn to BetterHelp. Because when there are things you can't really tell anybody or you feel like you can't unload on your family or your friends, you're probably already feeling like a burden to those people. That's what good therapy can do. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So unload the stressors, get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. Just see if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Very Bad Wizards listeners get ten percent off of their first month at betterhelp.com slash VBW. Again, that's betterhel dot slash V B W. Our thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards.
0: Yeah. Should we move on to Borges and I? Yeah, maybe that's a bridge, you know, this idea of multiple selves, because yeah. that is certainly the the central theme of this. Let me ask you, as a way of transitioning, you were the one who suggested doing both of these. Yeah. Why these two um, stories? So,
1: aside from them both being short... Um, there is a, a part of Borges and I, which I've always loved. There's a, a sentence in there where he talks about, um, he says, years ago I tried to free myself from him and went from the mythologies of the suburbs to the games with time and infinity. And it's always been an interesting move to me. By the way, the word suburbs here is just wrong. Um, it just doesn't feel right. Suburbs, doesn't, that doesn't have the connotation that it does in in the Spanish word, it's more like outskirts, like bad neighborhoods. We associate suburbs with like...
0: Yeah, I actually don't have that. I have... Okay. uh, Good. uh, Yeah, and went on from the mythologies of the slums and outskirts of the city. Yeah, there we go. That's the right transition. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Because early Borges was more like straightforward narratives, stories of like the knife fights in the slums, that kind of thing. And we've never really talked about any of those stories. And it yeah. is interesting for Borges himself to mention that that's where I, I went from these more straightforward narratives of, of the outskirts and two games of time and infinity, which is obviously what I love, like the part of Borges that I, I came to love. But these, these straightforward stories aren't even that straightforward. And, but I just wanted yeah. to read one of those. And yeah. it was interesting to me that even what on the face of it would seem like a straightforward narrative of revenge was always peppered. A little bit of you know, there was Borges, late Borges, sprinkled into early Borges. He just you know,
0: but you know, like Emma is in. It's in L. F. It's pretty late. Yeah, it's pretty. It's not. Uh, it's not. It. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's like after the Garden of Forking Paths and Library of Babel, and yeah, it's in L. F. And it,
1: it. It's so maybe. So even though f- for me straightforwardly it was like let's read a a, a, a yeah. straight up Borges like story story. But Do you want to read the whole story or should we
0: just talk about it?
1: Well, let's read it. People can say, what's well, so short? We might as well read it.
0: Let me do it since I yeah, probably yeah. have the best chat uh, translation yeah, yeah, it yeah. sounds like. It's Borges the other one that things happen to. I walk through Buenos Aires and I pause mechanically now perhaps to gaze at the arch of an entryway and its inner door. News of Borges reaches me by mail or I see his name on a list of academics or in some biographical dictionary. My taste runs to hourglasses, maps, 18th century typefaces, etymologies, the taste of coffee, and the prose of Robert Louis Stevenson. Borges shares those preferences, but in a vain sort of way that turns them into the accoutrements of an actor. So what are you thinking right then? Like, Uh, you just, that opening. You know... Like, Like, what's he talking about?
1: Okay, there's a few things that I just love about this. So, um knowing of Borges from the mail and seeing his name on a list of professors. And when he says, one thing that I just love is when he summarizes what he's into. I like hourglasses, maps, 18th century typography, the taste of it. It's such a rich, just set of like a description. It's something that I would want to write about myself. Like I like, you know, the Wu-Tang clan yeah. like, and fucking, you know, stories like Picking about locks. In, yeah, picking locks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and card tricks. Um, yeah. And so it just seems like this is a very indulged, self-indulgent story. He's like giving, he's just sort of saying like, this is what I
0: like. But what, what's the separation? Like,
1: yeah, well the part that he, he says, like I received news of the other guy in the mail. Um, and this guy takes all of the things that I like and makes them, turns them into the performance of an actor. It's just something that resonates with me. You and I have talked about this before. Like, this is not something that is limited to people like us who are podcasters or professors, but it's certainly something that is true about our lives that we currently are turning the things that we are obsessed about into something for other people. And I feel like that when I lecture, I feel like that when I have office hours with students, I feel like that sometimes when I podcast and listen to myself, I like that. If I look at the list of our 200 and whatever, 18 podcasts, it is, like our sentence of hourglasses maps 18th century. That's right. what, but it's turned into something else now. It is, it is for other people. It is now external to me. Right, it's a role that I've played, even though I was trying to be sincere.
0: Right, and I think that's an interesting question. Throughout this, uh, is is the Borges? So, like one way of reading that is. There's this kind of pure essence of Borges, and then there's the public Borges, now that he is creating things for other people. He has a public persona. He is performing in some ways, and that corrupts it, even though it was meant totally sincerely. And that's, ma- that's definitely one way you can read it now. Like, I think that like i had all these things that i was genuinely interested in but now i'm adapting it to the fact that other people give a shit yeah. about you know what i care about and that makes it somehow you know through no fault of my own c- corrupted in some way but like the other way of reading it is that this is something that he that he's mad at himself for allowing his public image to, I don't know, attack his own more pure identity.
1: Yeah. It's like I resist the public private thing. It seems too straightforward to me, even though I just said it. Um, Right. It seems as if it is something that we all do. There is a part of us that we present to the world that becomes Like who I am is very much just a collection of who other people think I am. And there's something in giving that to the, to all of the people around you, who you interact with. You're giving them, you're performing something, you're giving them something of you that then turns into its own thing. And I can see why you might resent that. Like you might grow to resent that you are not what other people like have of you. You are something else like, but you know what? There's a lot of overlap between those two guys. Like they
0: Yeah, right. And maybe the, the other guy, the guy that you're giving to others in your interaction, is sort of infecting the the purer version of what you imagine yourself to be. Yeah,
1: well, in the way that he says it, in my translation, in a vain way that turns them into the attributes of an actor. There is a vanity about sharing yourself right. to other like there's a weird vanity exactly. about it. And sometimes right. I'm self-conscious about it. Like I'm it it really does feel like I don't know. Vanity is a good word for
0: it. It's... I mean, anyone who's just posted on social media can can get this. You don't need to have a podcast that anybody listens to. You just need to, like, have sent out a tweet or a post- made a Facebook post or an Instagram or even picture had, or, even, or whatever. even your
1: personality in a party or something. Like, the, the thing that you're exactly. giving to everybody else just right. becomes a different thing. It's hard. It's... Yeah
0: you you just have to have had that feeling which i've definitely had of just all of a sudden you're hearing yourself talk and you're like carrying <laughs> on in a certain way and doing something and then you're just like like ew like what the <laughs> fuck is this that like ew what am I is doing? exactly right exactly <laughs> right know? it's one it's
1: it's one of the reasons that i found it so hard to ever listen to our own episodes <laughs>
0: For like right. I mean, it is like, and as somebody that has to edit them, <laughs> like they're like, I have to like, just be like, oh God, you know, and I'm glad I got to e- edit out some of the worst ones, but yeah. it's invasive almost. Although like what that even means, because unless you feel like you have some sort of soul that's different <laughs> yeah. from your interactions with anybody like it's hard to m- totally make sense of what, but, but at the same time, it does feel that way sometimes. Yeah. And by public, I don't mean like public in the sense that, you know, like Tom Hanks is a public figure, but public in the sense that it's not just you and your thoughts. Yeah. It's, it's, it, there is a sense where it's, there's you and your thoughts and then there's how you act around others. Um, right. And so. Okay. Keep yeah. reading. All right. Keep reading. Yeah. It would be an exaggeration to say that our relationship is hostile. I live, I allow myself to live so that Borges can spin out his literature. And that literature is my uh, justification. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So that Borges can spin out his literature. It's, it's very like, dismissive. <laughs> yeah. like, he's just going to pump out these like mindfuck stories. <laughs> and, like That's my justification. You know? yeah. But then he goes on. I willingly admit that he has written a number of sound pages, but those pages will not save me, perhaps because the good in them no longer belongs to any individual, not even to that other man, Borges, presumably, not even to that other man, but rather to language itself or to tradition. Beyond that, I am doomed utterly and inevitably to oblivion and fleeting moments will be all of me that survives in that other man. Now it does seem like this is something that is maybe more particular to somebody who is has achieved some level of fame and a public persona. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, but but more because that's who he is. Not certain. Like that's the way that he has to describe this feeling because that's the circumstance of his life is that he has written things for the public. He's like. Because I, I think that this is a feeling that anybody will have. And I think Borges would think that anybody would have it. It's just that in his case, it's like you reading yourself in Wikipedia. I can't say that for myself. Because <laughs>
0: um. <laughs> he talked about Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> what... Is that what it says? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that was like the Houston Chronicle thing, oh, like the story where they interviewed me. That's the only reason <laughs> I'm on there and you're not. Yeah, I'm really,
1: int- it's it's really interesting, though, to, um, where he describes his work as the thing that justifies him. I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, that he allows himself to live yeah. so that Borges can spin out his literature. And that literature is my justification. It sounds like, it's like, what does he mean I allow myself to live?
1: It's weird. It's like the self that is truly me, the Borges, the I, is what Ca- like has to like it causes all of the things that Borges does.
0: Uh, I willingly admit that he has written a number of sound pages, but those pages will not save me. Perhaps because the good in them no longer belongs to any individual, nor even to that other man, but rather to language itself or to tradition. So he's saying like. Even the, the, uh, the good stuff that I've done, not the bullshit, not the, the stuff that he's kind of corrupted and turned into his little games, like turned my real intrinsic curiosities into like fodder for his, for these cool stories that people seem to like. But, but then he says that like even like the other Borges isn't saved by those because once they're out there, They belong to everybody, all of our podcasts. (laughs) Once we put them out, like, they just belong to America. They
1: belong to the world.
0: Um, The world, yeah, homo sapien. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, there's something that's so true, like, the thought of all of the people who are trying to interpret Borges, you know, at this stage in his life, having seen all of those people say, like, well, this is what Borges said, and this is what he meant, and this is what it means it seems like you have to come to terms with the fact that the things that you produced are linked to you in some, some sense, but they're no longer up to you. It's, it's, it's uh, interesting, you know, and I think Borges, they're not yours, they're not yours anymore. And you have to let go. You can't, like, I think an artist would might find it a struggle to correct the people who are speaking about his work. Or her work, and and realize at some point that they have to at some point realize that they can't, they can, they can no longer speak with authority about what this work means because it's means something to everybody who's read it in a way that yeah, you, it's separate from you. Now that
0: you've done it, it's separate from you. So, not to compare us <laughs> yeah, in I'm any so sure. way. It's about self indulgent, <laughs> right? But did you ever get the feeling sometimes when there's some long Reddit thread yeah. um, on one of our episodes that if we go in there, it's almost like we're doing like a bad thing, Absol- even if it's just... Absolutely.
1: Cl- I re- yeah, yeah. recently had that. I was like,
0: I'm not going to comment
1: on this because I think it would ruin the
0: discussion. Yeah, exactly. Which is interesting that you would do that. Um, and, and especially since we're not putting out... Works of art. There are artistic, maybe elements for to what we are doing.
1: You know, they can... <laughs> Yeah,
0: your beats are pure art, just art in its purest form. <laughs> it's interesting that he puts it in the terms of salvation or yeah. saved, though. Okay, let's. Uh, I'll keep reading. Yeah. Beyond that, I am doomed utterly and inevitably to oblivion. And fleeting moments will be all of me that survives in this other man. So it's like something that, like, it sounds like there's this kind of pure self and but like it's slowly getting gobbled up by the the interactive self or something like that right um little by little i've been turning everything over to him though i know the perverse way he has of distorting and magnifying everything spinoza believed that all things wish to go on being what they are stone wishes eternally to be stone and tiger to be tiger I shall endure in Borges, not in myself, if indeed I am anybody at all. That's a great. But I recognize myself less in his books than in many others, or in the tedious strumming of a guitar. Yeah, it's, it's quite a sentence yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I mean, yeah. Like, and I, I want to go on to this next part, which I think we'll have a lot to say. But what do you? I I, I like this idea that it's. You you start it just devours you slowly until you and you just start to dwindle. It's an interesting idea, so that you know, like, like you know, it's like a hole that's close, like closing in on you, and your impact makes less and less of a difference.
1: Right. It's I, I mean there it, it something that seems to resonate for me just so much, which is you the part that feels like you, that subjective inner sense of self, as you live and as you produce things, as you, whether those things be utterances in public or whether they're works of art or whether they're, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're producing, those things, if you're lucky, get bigger than you. They, and for someone like Borges, you know, the the surreality, That it must be to experience listening to other people talk about you and your works, or write about you and your works, where you it starts. It seems dissociative. It seems like, man,
0: that's a different person. A different
1: person, and and you and I have had this feeling both in my writing and for sure in my podcasting and in my lecturing that I even forget the things that I've said to the point that upon hearing them or reading them they seem foreign to me but that is what right. i'm leaving that is the that is what i will be to other people those things are the only things that they that can possibly persist after i'm gone
0: and we work in a form that allows us it allows some degree of connection between your personality and yeah. the thing that you're doing i think like podcasting is the best example of that where I, I feel like I can be as close to myself yeah. as I can in any kind of public forum. But, like, um, I think Borges' writing, it, he's in a genre, his form of expression or his way of interacting publicly with others is one that is so kind of cryptic. And that there's like all, you know, it's like the multiple mirrors from Amazon's, right? It's like, it's so disassociative i i would think like i you know trying to imagine what boris is like based on his stories is <laughs> right. really difficult i could imagine so many different kinds of ways of understanding him as a person you know yeah, it,
1: yeah. he but way also seemed like a, a person who was uncomfortable with that publicness in, you know, I think I told the story once that I have a friend of the family who wrote his dissertation, an Ar- Argentinian uh, uncle yeah. of mine, who wrote his dissertation on Borges and met Borges. And Borges' reaction was, Don't you have anything? I swear you have something better to write about than me. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's It was very reluctant. When he says um, that he recognizes himself less in his own books yeah. than in many others, it s- seems to me that that is the feeling that one has. So, like, I, my deepest interests, right? Like, I, whatever i love mf doom and, and picking locks or something i see myself in those works of art or in those youtube right. videos that i right, love right, or, right, right that is me like i i feel most myself when i'm indulging my own interests by like reading other people and so that's where i might recognize myself the things that i produce right. that other people are doing you know, I am now recognizing myself in Borges's stories. That's because right. it's such a fundamental part of my interest and what I love. That is now a part of me, and and Borges might realize that and say like Yeah, those now now those that those stories are things that other people recognize themselves in. Like I recognize myself in Robert Louis Stevenson. That's what I recognize myself in Hourglass. Right, right.
0: You recognize yourself in like Illimatic. exactly. You know. <laughs> exactly. The, so that's interesting, you know, and like, remember what we were saying about writing public pop philosophy or pop science, you know, and, and just the kind of alteration that you have to do to your kind of prose and like yeah start, lead off with the story the voice. And, you yeah know, and I've done Your this. voice, that voice that it, you have to find. Yeah, that voice. And it's not you. And like, you know, like, I think the best, the best you can do is make it as much you as possible, but you really can't. And so... And then I'll read, like you said, like I'll just see some other great work of art that just feels like it captures my essence or at least what I take myself to be so much better than the thing that I'm actually putting out there. That's got to be a very strange experience. Yeah.
1: I mean, think about like if I had to put myself together with building blocks, those building blocks would be other things, not my things. They wouldn't be the things that I produced. Like those are other things. um, (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right, the bad news bears is <laughs> yeah, me. Right, like that's who I am. The Transformers
1: cartoons are me. That's that. That's what built me. Um, yeah. Uh, the laborious uh, strumming uh, of a guitar. I can only assume that, like he's, he's referring to music that he likes. Because or else I don't understand that.
0: And why laborious? Then, in many other books or in the tedious drumming. Maybe he's just saying, like, even the tedious strumming of a guitar it's closer I, like, <laughs> yeah. is closer to me than that. Um, so then he says, years ago, I tried to free myself from him, and I moved on from the mythologies of the slums and the outskirts of the city to games with time and infinity. But those games belong to Borges now, and I shall have to think up other things. <laughs> so my life is a point, counterpoint, a kind of fugue and a falling away and everything winds up being lost to me and everything falls into oblivion or into the hands of an, of the other man. And then this, the second paragraph, last sentence. I am not sure which of us it is that's writing this page. Yeah, it's so, it's <laughs> so, so good. good. <laughs> it's a perfect little like story. And that last part is so, in some ways, pessimistic. It's like, even when I just branch out, and you can think of, like everyone has this idea like i'm doing some new totally new project like this thing that i've been doing is tired and like the real me is really is interested in these things but then your persona ends up gobbling that up too and there's just no escaping it and <laughs> you are doomed to just just have everything that you do be appropriated by your, by your other, like yeah. your other persona your public persona And to the point where even you having these thoughts, even us having this conversation, (laughs) which we're doing on a podcast, (laughs) like, and like, surely that's corrupted by just the medium that we're even having this discussion in the first place, Yeah, you know? Totally. And just even thinking about it, like even reading the story, knowing that we're going to talk about it.
1: There is a, that despair toward the end there is just, you can feel it. Now, yeah. just the, n- those games belong yeah. to Borges now, and now I'm going to have to think of other things, and yeah. not, and then that end. I don't even know which of us wrote this because he, right. he's writing his inner feelings, and now they've become a Borges story. It's just so right. good. It's so good. And this is something Borges would do. He would write, <laughs> he
0: would turn this like inner crisis into some cool little story. Like yeah, you know, like oh it's man, It's so good. It's so good. So I, good. yeah,
1: I do get that feeling. You know, we you know we've we've produced work and we've produced podcast episodes. And there are things that, that we were interested in 10 years ago or whatever that we've, we're less interested in now, but that's, but somebody might think, Oh, that's you. You're like, you're the guy who's into that. And you're like, ah, not really. I was like, I'm not anymore. And it feels like almost someone falsely recognizing you someone accusing you of being someone you're not it does feel
0: dissociative yeah and just the idea that he went in this whole new direction yeah. and then but still couldn't escape the fundamental like curse yeah. of Human beings, and he doesn't seem like a particularly social guy, right. Borges. Which is that you have to interact with others, and you have to have a personality that is pu- that is public, not necessarily as being a a famous author, but as being just somebody who interacts with the world. And no matter what you do in your private moments, that will end up being just gobbled up yeah. by this persona well, cause no, and cause no one you won't end up knowing who's who. No one can experience
1: other. you as you experience you.
0: Like there is, yeah.
1: it, it, will, it will, the you that is belongs to the world can, you the, the, the private you can never be shared in that way. So of course it's going to be
0: gobbled up. You know, And the public you will end up influencing the, p- the private, private you. you. Like, that's the thing is, like, that's the, it'll yeah, be that's, invaded. Yeah. It's like the other is like a
1: beast devouring. Um, yeah. You know, it makes me think that I've always thought of the profession of acting as being very odd because you're always portraying someone else. And it always struck me that actors must... It's, it's always made me think twice about who, what an actor is and what their personality truly is because they lose themselves in their roles. Their job is to be other people. And it's always seemed a little weird and fake to me that like, uh, or like suspicious of who the real person is. But now I'm thinking that might be That's, the most genuine profession that there is because you are right. very clearly, th- yeah, with no exactly. self-deception, portraying someone else. But we're all portraying someone else. We're just deluded into thinking that we're portraying ourselves.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That's just like they're at least being honest. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas we think that like there's a kind of genuine. uh, Yeah. No. And that's. Yeah. I I think this is something that is completely universal. And we're talking about our experiences. But everybody, unless you are (laughs) a hermit in a cave, um, you can relate to this. Exactly. Well, that's the power of
1: it because, yeah. It's not. I would, I would be saying this in private conversation if nobody knew who I was except for my immediate family and a couple friends. Like it's the (laughs) same thing. Um, I, you know, this this is like the snootiest thing to say ever. But there is something about reading it in Spanish (laughs) that is just powerful in a way that, uh, like, I feel I don't feel it in the English. But that's probably just because.
0: You're, the private day is going to be like <laughs> yeah. really embarrassed that he said that. Like, um, no, but I can imagine. That's totally true. Reading something in its yeah, original language,
1: it's, you know, it's. I think a lot of it is not for the language reasons, but just because there is some feeling that you, that you're closer to what the author intended. You yeah. know,
0: this is his, like what he actually wrote, <laughs> yeah, not exactly. some other interpretation. Yeah. Especially a story like this, which is about like just multiple, like you know that. You could look at this. We we have to stop, no. but we but but you can look at this as like there's a f- again like a form or ideal of Borges, and then there are these increasingly corrupted copies and images that are that go out for the public uh, as an artist, as a, just a a friend. As um, I guess he never got. Did he get married? No. He never got married, but as 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 you know, in his profession when he was a librarian, like there's all sorts of like just corruptions of the 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 true Borges. But I think that he's too savvy a like a thinker to think that it's that simple yeah. that there is that there is this essential Borges, like platonic form of Borges that is, you know, then just gets transmitted in all these other ways. But I think there is something to that idea that we can all relate to, that there is, and I think it's especially true when you're young. I think it's at least more true sometimes when you're young, where just, where you feel like the real you and the you that presents to the world are just two completely different people, you know, and... And, and, and we have a way of making sense of the real me without thinking that there's some sort of essence yeah, or, right. or soul or something like that. And well, that's, um,
1: I mean, that's the part that makes it confusing. That's the yeah. part that is like, I understand that there is like a, a relationship between who I am to the world and who I am to myself. There is, th- but like. And, and so I am in like myself is sort of influenced. Like I'm, uh, you know, my life is a flight. Like it's uh, a, it it is, it's, it's not, yeah, it would be weird. It would be dumb if it was a platonic self that's pure or, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know who that self is now anymore. Like in some ways, like it's hard to even know which one is me. That's why the ending in the confusion of like, I'm not sure who wrote this is so great because it's like, yeah, I mean it's I am my public self, I am my private self. We're, I'm both both of those are Borges. But I can't shake the subjective feeling that the me that that I feel, the me that was me when I was 10, that's the same me that I am now is is now lost sort of in all of the other things. like I like not yeah. just because there's me this private thing and the world sees me as this other thing, but also because the both of those are part of me, you know? Like
0: it feels better to to think that they're closer together yeah. than when I thought that they were further apart. Absolutely. You know, like... Absolutely. Like, he, he paints it as despairing, that, like, the real... But in some ways, I feel like that the, the, the good thing is when you don't feel such a disconnect between the person that's interacting with others and the person that you are. It's
1: it, um, Yeah, and it sounds like he doesn't feel that yeah. he, when he says... Right. He's losing, like, over time, he's losing everything. And everything will belong to oblivion or to him. That is, yeah. you know, in, I mean, in some sense, like, when you die, it's true, right? Borges survives in all of the things that he did. But, like, that part that mattered to him is, is lost to oblivion.
0: And the Borges that survives is not the Borges that he feels yeah. is... True Borges. And it feels... Or at least that this aspect of Borges doesn't feel yeah, as true Borges. It,
1: it really feels like somebody just reflecting on their life at the end of, of their life. I don't know when he wrote this, though. It's
0: 1960. But I love that last little bit. I don't know which one of us is is doing yeah. this. It's because it is... It it turns into kind of a Borges mindfuck, you know, at the end. And so, like, it's like, oh, this is what he does. Yeah. You know, he takes something that's genuine and upsetting and he turns it into one of his mind games <laughs> so it's like even just like unburdening himself in this manner isn't can't save him you know like he totally. said nothing can they can't in save totally.
1: me yeah he would have been 61 right. when he wrote this
0: I, Well. all right we yeah. should wrap up all right. so we don't know who it is that is that have recorded <laughs> this podcast <laughs>
1: I do hate that person that recorded two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Imagine how I feel. All right. Uh, join us, quote unquote, us next time on Very Sad Wizard. brains than you have. Pay no attention to that man. Anybody can have a brain. You're a very bad man. I'm a very good man. Just a very bad wizard.